Join me in reading 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21. Uh, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I don't know if you uh, are aware, and I mentioned it at the beginning, but this is actually Christmas Sunday. And so uh, many years ago, long before we were all around, there were those who set up a church calendar. And in setting up the church calendar, it was a way to tell the story of God and how he continues to pursue us in his steadfast love. It's a reminder of how he comes into the world and then leads us into places of repentance. And so where we're sitting right now in what that church calendar is, is called Christmas Tide, which is the time between Christmas Sunday or Nativity, the Feast of the Nativity, and moving on to the Feast of Epiphany, which is when the wise men came and showed up. Uh, so that didn't happen immediately. It was a few years later. And so there's a time in, in between that's called Christmas Tide. And it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because you really can't have a Christmas Sunday before Christmas. Christmas has to happen for Christmas Sunday to be around. And so we rest in that place. That's the reason why there's four Sundays of Advent, preparing us for that Feast of Nativity and and what that means. And then what we get to do is for the next uh, several Sundays is we get to spend time celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. So Advent is about waiting for Jesus to come, and then after Christmas, when it happens, it's about celebrating the fact that Jesus has come. That's the reason why you still see the candles up. That's the reason why we still sing Christmas carols, uh, because we're in that season. And I was thinking about that and thinking about why we do that and what that's about. It reminded me of kind of how really we as Christians and followers of Jesus sometimes think about our life in Christ. Very often, we think about it in a very sort of, there's this point, this place that I have to remember, that time where I said, Jesus is Lord, that moment of salvation. Oftentimes, it's called that point of conversion. And too often, what can take place in our minds and our hearts is we focus on that point, just like we kind of focus on Christmas. We've got to get to that thing. And we stop there. We say, good, that's done. 
made that commitment, made that conversion, that point is done, I can go back and look at it and remember it and think about it, but it really doesn't affect the rest of our lives. It doesn't transform us or change us because we've thought of it as a conversion, this sort of moving from this place to this place, and boom, it's done. What we've been talking about during Advent is the promise. The promise, which is Jesus. Jesus coming to this world. We talked about how he was predicted. We talked about how he was proclaimed. We talked about how he was presented. And then we talked about how he pursues us. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is that Jesus then pulls us into the promise and we begin to live it. We walk in that promise, which is Jesus. It's not about a point, it's about movement. That's the reason why Jesus, on, when he was ascending into heaven and giving his great commission, didn't say, go and make conversions. He said, go and make disciples. Because a conversion is moving somebody from this place to this place. Uh, conversion really is the language of commerce, that says, we've got an item and we want to convert you to being a customer of it. Jesus didn't seek out customers. Jesus sought out disciples, which means we actually move from a place of ascent, of knowledge, of, but allowing it to transform and change us to be like Christ. And that's what we're talking about today, what it means to be living in the promise, to do promise living. And we recognize that in this passage. For the love of Christ controls us. And then it talks about the fact that we are ambassadors and that we have a ministry of reconciliation. So real quickly, let me say this. There are those of us who are in Christ and those of us who are trying to discover who Christ is that are here present today. There are those of us who have, are followers, we call ourselves followers of the way or followers of Jesus. And there might be those of us, some of us here, that are saying, I don't even know who this Jesus is and I want to figure him out. This is about all of us because it reminds us of who we ultimately are. And that that promise that has been presented and has been predicted and has pursued us changes everything. The first thing that we need to recognize, though, is it's not really about us. <laughs> and that's hard for us to remember or grasp. It's really about what Jesus is doing, what God has done through Christ. We see that a couple of times in this passage he says, first of all, for the love of Christ controls us. Other versions say for the love of Christ compels us. Now that can be taken a couple of different ways. Some folks can look at those words and say, well, that means my love for Christ makes me do these things. I love Jesus so much that I am controlled or I'm compelled to do these things that, uh, that Christ calls me to do. Or we can read it and understand that it is actually Christ's love within us that makes us move in this place. It probably, quite honestly, is a little bit of both and, not an either or. But what we first have to recognize is that it is the love of Christ. It is 
Christ himself pouring himself and his love into us that controls us or compels us to move forward in understanding who he is and know the ministry that he has called us to. This new life that he has moved us to. Then it says this, that, it's conclu- that we've concluded this, that one has died, that's Jesus for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, for those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him and for their sake, and who for their sake he died and was raised. Then it lets us know this, even though we once regard, we don't regard anybody according to the flesh because Christ has been in the flesh, but he no longer is and that if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation then it reminds us of this in verse 18 all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation and in Christ God reconciled the whole world to himself therefore we're not about ourselves we're ambassadors of Christ then it says this For our sake, he made him to be sin so that we would be what? The righteousness of God. All of that has been done in and through Christ. So there's a place for us where we wrestle and when we think about the new year that's coming up and we want to go, what do I need to do better? What are the things that I need to accomplish? What are the things that I need to be the best at? What are the things that need to change in my life? We often do that in our own Christian life and think, well, if I do this and I do that, then I'll be a better Christian. And what Jesus is saying here to us is, no, it is all through me. I've done it all. I've accomplished it all. It is taken care of that it is all in me. There's two men, Emmanuel Contagoli and Chris Rice. One is a Catholic African bishop and one is a Presbyterian pastor. And they've written a book called Reconciling All Things, A Christian Vision for Justice, Peace, and Healing. And just in the last month, I I discovered this book and began to read it. And so I'm going to quote from that book a couple of different times because they touch on this passage quite a bit. The first thing that they say is this when they're talking about this passage. In summary, they say the story is this. So if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. They say this, there are two movements in this story and the order is important. The first movement is about God and what God has done in Christ. The second is about transformation. This first movement has enacted in the world and in the lives of people. Already we see that one way of misreading this story of God's reconciliation is to immediately bring ourselves into the picture. They remind us that in our action-infected world, we are tempted to first ask what we must do, jumping into action without dwelling on the gift that God has given. They say, but the story of 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us that before reconciliation is about us, it is actually about God. It is God's mission in the world. The journey of reconciliation begins with seeing that reconciliation is not the goal of human striving, but instead a gift God longs for us to accept. 
It is connected with and gives birth to all the other gifts within the reality of God's new creation. See, in the world today, there's a lot of talk about reconciliation, about people coming back together. Uh, We hear it all the time that too often we're either in a place of isolation or antagonism. That our world is operating in a place where we're so afraid and so scared of everyone around us that we isolate ourselves out of fear. We build walls around our hearts and sometimes attempt countries. And we isolate ourselves because of fear. Or we're aggressive and aggro about it. And we say, you're not going to hurt me before I hurt you. I'm going to make sure I get this taken care of. I'm going to elevate myself into a power of position. And so in those two things, the world recognizes, we all recognize that that ultimately leads to what? Destruction. We can't help but see it, that if people continue to be aggravated at one another, that it only creates war. And that if I isolate myself from those around me, then I will shrivel up and die because I am made for community. And so the world cries out and says, something has to happen. There must be reconciliation. There must be a bringing back together. And so we create all sorts of systems and we create all sorts of symposiums and we create all sorts of books and language and things to bring us to that place. Why? Because we think we can do it ourselves. Oftentimes, we even do it this way. We think of the big things, those things that really, quite honestly, get all the press. That's not a bad thing. Some of those need more press than what they're getting even today. And we think, if I can get involved in helping world peace, if I can end oppression in this particular country, I'll be doing good. Yet we neglect our partner at our house our hearts towards our children or our neighbors are closed off. Because it's easier for us to think about reconciliation in the broad scheme than to think about reconciliation in the individual here and now. And what this book reminds us and what Jesus through Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians is it's not about action and effort. In fact, reconciliation is first and foremost a gift from God that we Except that all those plans and all those places where we continue to work to bring reconciliation ultimately will fall short. It's not that it's not worth the effort, because it is. Because God's common grace is transforming and moving and bringing people into an understanding of his steadfast, loving pursuit of them to bring them into whole relationships with him, with ourselves, with all others, and with place. But... Ultimately, they will fall short because they don't have the recognition that it is a gift first that we receive. That it has all been done in Christ already. So the first thing for us as people who want to live in the promise are recognize that there is this promise that is Jesus is we have to first receive. We first have to receive the gift that God has given us and recognize it as such. That in Christ, I am reconciled to him. I am reconciled to myself, to all others in place. That in Christ and through his work, I have the ability to move my little emperor me off my heart and have Christ reign on my heart so that I am able to see others. What? According to the flesh? No, that's the amazing thing. I no longer see people according to the flesh, but I see them according to the way God sees them. 
So the first thing is we have to receive this promise. The second thing is, is we have to change the way we view those around us. Right here, very clearly, it says, For now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It puts aside all those things that we use as labels. This reconciliation ministry that God has promised and brought us into puts away all other ways that we even determine who is worthy and who is unworthy to be in our lives. It moves us to a place where we recognize all people as those that God is pursuing and calling. And those that are His, they will answer that call and be brought in and will be made new in Christ. And how amazing that is. But it means that I have to change my vision, or really have it changed. That I no longer view people from what they can do for me, or maybe what I can do for them. But I see them as gifts from God, created in His image, to be transformed into being His children. That everybody, regardless of creed or color, nationality or wealth, no matter whether I have known them for years or have just met them, they are someone who has entered into my sphere of life that I can now know beyond a shadow of a doubt is because God wanted them there. And I can now interact with them. It's an interesting thing to have happen when you transform that. When your eyes begin to see others as those that God has brought into your life so that you can see Him. Because you don't regard them according to the flesh anymore. You regard them according to the Spirit of Christ that can reside in them. And we see that and we begin to love people more deeply and we begin to honor people more deeply. We begin to celebrate with people more deeply and we begin to mourn with people more deeply. Why? Because our hearts are drawn together and brought into this newness. They say this in the book, the church's vocation is to be an interruption in the story of division and violence in the world. To be a sign and an agent of reconciliation, the church must inspire and embody a deeper vocation of hope in broken places. We do this through our presence in local places and in everyday ongoing practices of building community, fighting injustice, and resisting oppression, while also offering care and hospitality and service. We're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Understanding that Christ has already reconciled all things unto Himself. And so we move in that place. Now oftentimes in our lives, uh, it becomes very easy for us to hear stories that are so magnificent that we go, yes, that's what that's supposed to look like. For instance, I have a friend whose father was murdered and he uh, spent time writing letters of forgiveness to the men who participated in that. One of the men responded to that letter. He happened to be the man that was driving the getaway car. And from that time, they began to form a friendship because he moved from being the person who killed my father and moved to being the person who is made in the image of God. And he went on and he worked to have him get early parole and he went on to help have him get a job and establish a business. And we hear those stories, right? And we go, yes, that's amazing. And they should inspire us. 
But as deep and as amazing are those stories is the story when someone in your life hurts you and you move to forgive them. Or, even better, they do something to tick you off. And your reaction is not to prove your worth by dominating them, by gaining their submission to the fact that you were right, but into stepping in and finding out what is going on in their lives that would cause them to hurt. Sadly, it happens all the time in my life. It probably does in yours that we think to ourselves, I've got to position myself. I mean, we're not actively thinking this, but our hearts are evil little idol makers that say, yes, you're the right person. You're you're the one who deserves all this. Yes, you get to get all of what you want. Nobody else. And we sit there and we churn up reasons why we don't need to be reconciled. We churn up reasons why people should be reconciled to you on your terms and only your terms. But there are places in our lives as we live in the promise that Jesus became flesh and died and rose again so that we now live in the Spirit. We see those in the Spirit. We recognize ourselves even in the Spirit. And that God is enabling and equipping us to move to the place of rapid repentance and reconciliation. That in an argument, we're the first to say, will you forgive me? I'm not even sure what I need forgiveness for, but I know it's there. Where we rapidly move to say, I can't let division linger longer than a moment. That when I recognize it, and listen, sometimes it takes years for us to recognize it, okay? Don't get me wrong, it's not like it hits us like that. Sometimes it takes years for us to recognize that. That at that moment, as soon as we know, we move. Not because we have to do it, but because the love of God is compelling us to do it. My, my friend that I was telling you about would let you know that he didn't like doing any of the things that he did. He didn't want to write the letter giving them forgiveness. He, he didn't want to spend time allowing the, his mind and his heart to be transformed from seeing them as the enemy to seeing them as a child of God. He didn't want to, but the first thing that he thought was that I was called to forgive as a Christian, and so I have a duty to do it. Sometimes that's how it has to start for us, guys. Sometimes it has to start with a duty. Oh, but the mercy of God is this, that it doesn't stay a duty for long. It becomes an act of devotion. It moves us to a place of praise. And that's the reason why it looks this way. Again, quoting from Cotagonia and Rice. This story that we're talking about of reconciliation is about both the interior and the exterior. It's about contemplation and action. It's about sanctuary and streets, heart and body, worship and activism, theory and practice, desires and deeds, preaching and living, individual and community, baptism and politics, praying and prophesying, church and world. God's mission of reconciliation challenges us, moves beyond, even explodes all conventional distinctions. 
I'm no longer in the flesh. I no longer operate or walk in that way. How is that even possible? Oh. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Over Christmas and Advent, what we've been doing is we've been weaving bits and pieces of God's story and our story together in these looms that are up here. And you'll notice that if you look at the bottom, they're not complete. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just because we didn't complete them. The reason that those are, are, are not complete is that it is a reminder to us that the story is not complete. That in fact, yes, the work is done. God's mission is accomplished. That all things, as we're reminded, have been reconciled to Him in Christ Jesus. But the work is not done. The story continues to go on. And He calls us as His ambassadors to be part of that story. And so the verse that we hold on to, the thing that we proclaim most of all is this, for our sake He made Him who knew no sin to become sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. Listen, if you're here today and you have not heard this message and you believe that there is no way that God loves you, God loves you. So much that he pursues you endlessly and cannot wait to have you be his child. So much so that in his story he said, I will become the thing that separates me from you so that you can become complete in my righteousness. And for those of us who have been followers, hear me now. You need to hear that same story every day. Because just like Christmas, it's not a day. It continues on. It transforms everything. It causes us to remember and know and believe and trust that I am the righteousness of God because all things have been taken away from me that are sin. In Jesus, they have been transformed. And so we continue to add to God's story. We tell it out as it gets reflected in our lives, in our particularness, and in our community. And that's the reason why we end in this way. They end by saying the Christian practice of reconciliation has to do with recovering first a posture of receptivity and gratitude. Are we thankful for the God that pursues us? Know that he is ever pursuing you with his steadfast love, even if you've already been saved. He continues to pursue you with his steadfast love. Let me pray for us. Father God, you are good. You are good all the time. We pray that these words will be your words, and if they're not your words, that they will burn up and blow away. But if they are your words, that they will take root in our heart and that they will bring, us, bring you glory and honor and bring us deeper in the knowledge of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.